Hello everybody and welcome to the Glory Glory Podcast. I'm your host as always, Kyle Quinn, and joining me today is Tom from the United Podcast. Um, I do apologise, Tom, the last couple of times I had you on, we beat Leeds 5-1, we beat Tottenham 3-0, and unfortunately this time around we lost 1-0 to Wolves at Old Trafford. So what was your thoughts on the game? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having us back on. Yeah, unfortunate um, under different circumstances. And what do I think of the game? It was it was a couple of days ago now. It feels like it's a while ago, but the emotions are still raw. They're, they're still sort of strong emotions sort of surrounding the whole thing. And it was bad on so many levels. Okay, it wasn't to the level of the Manchester City performance, the way they do, sort of dominated us at Old Trafford. It wasn't the 5-0 against Liverpool in terms of how embarrassing that was. But it was complete domination, and you can you don't accept that from a game against a Manchester City or Liverpool. But you can kind of say, okay, I can understand how that happens. To get completely dominated by Wolves, and yes, okay, Bruno Fernandez scores that goal. It's a different game. We win one nil, and we're saying, oh, it doesn't matter how you play as long as you get the points. But at the end of the day, the performance was worrying, and Wolves just looked a class above us, which at the end of the day they were. But it raises so many questions how that is the case that Manchester United at Old Trafford. It is a shock that Wolves did beat us, but when we dig a little bit deeper, no one's like truly shocked. Like we all see, saw this was a potential to happen. And um, it was a worrying performance. Uh, definitely the worst performance so far under Ralph Rangnick. Clearly teams are just not afraid to come to Old Trafford anymore. Um, would you say, is it a result of us being an average team or is it a fact, the fact that the players are just not giving their all or is it like a combination of both? I think the answer is always in the middle. I, I think sometimes we overreact and say it's all the players' fault or the manager's fault or we're no good or if we win a game, we're the next best thing, we're going to go on a run and win things. So I think the answer is always a little bit in between. Um, some of the players are good enough, some of the players aren't good enough. Um, that doesn't mean you have to sell everyone who's not good enough. It's still a squad game type thing. Everyone does have their role to play, but in terms of taking that next step, whether that be to, you know, God forbid, qualify for top four or even win a trophy type thing, um, you do have to improve upon the squad. Uh, Ralph Rangnick, I think I've, I've liked what he's done so far since he's come in. But the further you dig, sort of dig down into it, has he actually done that much? Well, and that's not to criticise him too much. Um, I'm sure we're going to get into the players and their attitude type thing. But besides that first half hour against Crystal Palace, not much has changed. So I think Ralph Rangnick, I'm, I'm definitely not going to criticise him. But you definitely sort of do have to sort of raise a few questions that are directed towards the manager. So it's across the board, in my opinion, um, where the blame does lie. Will that photo of the players emerging for the game um, really summed up what was it, what was about to come? Because um, you look at them, Ronaldo, De Gea, Maric, McTominay, Greenwood, Wanda Saka and Shaw all look pretty glum, whereas Phil Jones looks pumped and really up for the game. I know it's just one still image, but it did kind of symbolise what was to come because Jones was our best player on the night and probably our only player who would get more than a, a 5 out of 10. I think that's the, the thing you mentioned there and I do have maybe a little bit of a different view towards it in terms you do mention it's, it's one still image. I'm sure that photo when Phil Jones lands and maybe Scott McTominay does his jump, does that paint a different picture type thing? Like I understand that, but you are correct in saying that it did paint a picture in terms of the narrative when you do look at how the game did pan out. Um, it did sort of symbolise it. So I feel some of the players were hard done by by that picture. And obviously Phil Jones did have a good a good performance, all things considering. But um, it does does raise questions um, regarding some of the mentality of some of the players um, because the players have shown that they can turn on and deliver a performance. But they have also shown two days later they can do this type of performance. And it's when you're producing this type of performance, 
it's worrying because this the subpar performance isn't a shock. If Manchester City were to, they, first of all, they wouldn't throw in that type of performance. But if they did, it would be out of the blue. It would be, what has happened here? This is a real shock. With Man United, we're sort of, yeah, I saw that coming type thing. I'm not really shocked. And that is the worrying thing, that these performances need to be one or two a season, not one or two a month. Yeah, so what do you, me and my mates often talk about the fact that Jane Sancho appears to be playing on the wrong side of the pitch, and it's affecting his performances. Even let's forget about Dortmund for the moment at United. Every time he's had an impact, he's been on the right hand side, and I don't understand why all the managers we've had this season keep playing him on the left hand side of the pitch. You know, more often than not, and he's not producing it on that side. Does it frustrate you that they're not playing him on the on the right hand side? Look, I, I do prefer him on the right. I'd much prefer him over that side. However, I'm not too sort of concerned when he does line up on the left. I obviously do want to see him prefer on the right. But you look at his last goal against Burnley. I forget he actually played on the right or left, but the goal came from the left hand side. So he does have the ability to impact games from the left. But I'm with you in agreement that I, I do prefer him on the right. But then that comes back down to, in my opinion, the management, whether that be Solskjaer or Rangnick and whatever system they pick. Um, that's up for debate, but it's how there's sort of shoehorning plays into the team, whether that be sort of to include Marcus Rashford on the left just because it's Marcus Rashford, or if they do want to play Mason Greenwood, or if you want to play Greenwood and Sancho, Greenwood really can, you don't really see him playing off left. He has to be shoehorned onto the right-hand side, which will then push Jaden Sancho to the left. And that's where the managerial decision has to take place. Well, if I want to play Jaden Sancho and play him in his best position, that means I don't play Mason Greenwood. Now I'm not saying don't play Mason Greenwood, but there are, there are sort of hard decisions that have to be made. And some managers, whether that be Mourinho, Solskjaer, or even Ralph Rangnick, is struggling with it now. Sometimes the managers are finding it hard to drop a certain player here or there. You just look at, okay, he, he was supposedly injured or dropped for this one, but Harry Maguire, it's been very hard to drop him because obviously big personality. Marcus Rashford is getting minutes every week. It's very hard to leave him out of the team for a manager. And um, I think he's maybe struggling with that with Mason Greenwood. And I'm a big fan of Mason Greenwood. I think he should be playing. But yeah, maybe sometimes it's at the detriment to other players sometimes. Yeah, the, the crowd were a bit unhappy with Greenwood being substituted. Yeah. Um, Ralph said in his post-match interview that it was because Greenwood's effort was not outstanding. I think that's how he put it. Um, it was a choice between him and Cavani to come off um, because basically Cavani was trying harder. That's why Greenwood came off. So what did you make of that there? Yeah, I didn't agree at all with with um, what Ralph was saying there. I thought Greenwood was one of our better players, and that's not to write anything home about. I don't think we're good across the board, but out of the attacking players on the field, I think if something was going to happen, it was going to come through Mason Greenwood. And I love Edison Cavani, but I don't want to go over the top. It's obviously fresh in the memory. He's probably Cavani, in my opinion, his worst game in a red shirt. And he's been brilliant, in my opinion, since he's come in. I just thought he was totally ineffective. And I'm not going to say Cavani wasn't working hard, but the one thing you can always rely on Cavani is getting around the pitch. I didn't really see that from him. That's not to say he threw in the towel or he wasn't trying, but I just wasn't a, I wasn't seeing a Cavani-type performance where I was seeing a Greenwood-type performance. And, um, yeah, I, I was shocked. Um, yeah, I didn't agree with that from Ralph at all. Yeah, um, the the best part of Greenwood's performance was probably that ball that he played mm. into Sancho. You know, and I think Sancho should have played Ronaldo in rather than taking yeah. on the shot. Um, was Greenwood, yeah, I, I just... I don't understand it myself. I thought he was out of the four attacking he's players. A very, he's a very easy target. A few guys made the point on our podcast the other day that if you look at it, if you're a manager, you're a manager and you're sitting there on the sideline, you have Edison Cavani, you have Cristiano Ronaldo, 
who else was on the pitch, Jaden Sancho type thing, um, who's the easy one to take off? It's going to be Mason Greenwood. Uh, right or wrong, he's going to be easy one to take off. Like so many we've seen that with England with Paul Scholes, Lampard, and Gerald. It was very easy to sacrifice Paul Scholes to put him on the left hand side, etc. And that is that comes back down to the manager, whether that be Solskjaer or Rangnick. They do have to, yeah, make, make the tough decisions when they're needed. Yeah, he's probably the least senior out of all those players, so he's probably the easiest to take off. Um, Cavani, I didn't quite understand in the last two games. In fact, he's been playing quite deep. Um, he hasn't been in the penalty box much, and is that is that a, is that a tactical thing? Because I I would have liked him see him playing up front with Ronaldo as he did against Spurs when when we won three 0 It's hard. The only thing, and I have no idea, Ralph Rang, he can he could point out on his tactics board what he sort of wanted to happen and what he the plan was. In my opinion, the only reason he was a little bit deeper was simply when you play that two man midfield. We were getting overrun by Wolves or whoever we're going to play, but especially a team like Wolves. They're going to outnumber you in the middle. And it wasn't so much, in my opinion, Cavani sort of dropping into a 10 role and playing in that position. I just think the way the game panned out, he sort of had to drop into that area at times to sort of just fill a, few, fill a little bit of space. And, um, yeah, I think that was off the back of having that two-man midfield, which at the end of the day didn't work. It worked a treat against Burnley. But every game's different. And Ralph Rangnick, I think he's the one who has to hold his hands up there. I think after five minutes, we knew that wasn't working against Wolves. And it stayed that stayed that way for far too long, in my opinion. And ultimately, you could say that I'm critical of Cavani saying it was his worst performance in the United shirt. But again, a lot of that might have come down to just the situation he found himself in, and it wasn't the game for that second striker in terms of the way the positions he was taking up. Yeah, I think Fred and McTominay as a combo worked in the Burnley game, but obviously Wolves is a massive step up in class, and you know both of them did not perform very well in that game. And as you say, as a two, they, they were getting overrun. So uh, it was a mistake to kind of both put them back in again as a pair and to just to just play two in midfield. Um, I think if we're going to sign anyone in January, the priority has to be a midfielder. And I think I read the other day that uh, Dennis Zakaria from Borussia Mönchengladbach is actually available for as little as six million. Um, that's very little risk comes with that kind of transfer fee. So, and he seems to be a player that's been watched by many of the big clubs in Europe. So, I reckon we should go and get that done. What do you think? Yeah, look, look to be honest, I've never seen him play. Um, to be, he's even one of the players I haven't even YouTubed really yet. I'm probably so a little bit behind on my YouTube scouting, and I should get onto it. But he is a player in terms of whether I rate him or if I don't rate him or whoever the player is. It has to be the manager's decision. And Ralph Rangnick might think he's the absolute perfect answer. And fingers crossed he is if he is to come in. But that's where Ralph Rangnick, if, if he's the player for £6 million, go and get him tomorrow morning. Um, if the players were £75 million, go get him tomorrow morning. Type thing. It has to be the manager's decision. He, Ralph Rangnick can't go to Woodward and say, OK, I want this player. And Woodward goes, OK, we'll, we'll, we'll have a think about him. We'll see what sort of business we can do with that club. But we have to go in and get him tomorrow morning. Now, whether he's the right signing or the wrong signing, time will tell. But um, Ralph Rangi needs to put his list forward and get the men he wants. So, what did you make of the the, the fullbacks in this game? I was very surprised that Shaw and Wamasaka started two games in a row because I very much thought that Tales and Dallo were Ranyak's first choice. Um, Wamasaka, I think, was very very poor in the night, as was Luke Shaw. Um, so, what did you make of that decision to to play them two um, two games in a row? 
fullback situation is very interesting now. And I think it's probably a good situation to have sort of competition and both sort of fullbacks on either side sort of pushing each other on, whether they're pushing each other on well enough. That's another debate. But the fact that they're all fit and they're fighting for a spot is a good thing. However, we would like obviously like to see the performances improve. I'm with you. I think Delo and Tellez in Ralph Rangig's mind was his first choice fullbacks. But I think when Luke Shaw came in against Burnley, he sort of performed well. So you can understand him keeping his spot. I thought it was the game for Diego Delo in terms of you did look at the positions Aaron Wambasaka did pick up on the ball and he's a bit of an attacking outlet. But I think a lot of that attacking outlet was off the back of Wolves allowing him to be that because they know if Wambasaka gets that ball in that wide area, he's not too dangerous where I think the dynamic of that changes if Delo's on the ball. So I thought it was more the game for um, Diego Delo And like Wambasaka, I would have brought Wambasaka in against Newcastle. Um, in terms of that threat against um, St. Maximum type thing. So I think there does, there does need to be a little bit of rotation around the fullbacks dependent on the opposition. But at home to Wolves, I think Ralph Rangie should be going with his first choice fullbacks. And in my opinion, if he's got an FA Cup final tomorrow, I think Ralph Rangie has played in Diego Delo. So I think at home to Wolves, you should go your full strength, in my opinion. And um, yeah, you got to, I don't think one percent defensively is what he is and attacking, he is what he is. Um, I don't think anything's going to change there. So the manager needs to see what he wants from a performance. But ideally, going forward, um, Wan-Bissaka leaves a lot to be desired still. Yeah, his performance was summed up when he actually went past a couple of players and then when he went across it, it came off a standing leg and out for a goal kick. The scary thing on that one was when he's dribbling there, you kind of hear that had in your back of mind, this is a possibility. He might actually air-swing this. And that's a concern. When a professional footballer, you're not shocked when they air-swing the ball. That's a concern. <laughs> it's a massive concern. And, and I think you had this debate on your own podcast about, about whether Wan-Bissaka or Dallow would start against Wolves. And I was very much in favour of Dallow starting. And that's why, because I thought Wan-Bissaka would blunt quite a lot of our attacks. Because yeah. he was providing the width uh, a lot of the time on the right-hand side. There was, sometimes Greenwood was drifting inside and there's nobody out there. And when you rely on Wan-Bissaka to provide width, you know, the, the attacks are going to be blunted, aren't they? Yeah, it would be interesting. I don't know, with just your, your discussion a little bit earlier about Jaden Sancho on the right and his best performances. I'd love to go back and just have a look at his best performances and see which fullback was behind him. I don't have that off the top of my head whether it has been Delo or Wambasaka, but it would be interesting to see there because, yeah, Wambasaka definitely does need that option in front of him, where if it is a right winger with a left foot, let's say Mason Greenwood, who does cut in, well, that might limit Wambasaka's options going forward in terms of finding a pass. So I'd like to go back and actually find out who um, Jaden Sancho's best performances on the right sort of have been partnered with. Yeah, so even though we lost the game, our, our best two players on the night were probably Varane and Phil Jones. Yeah. Um, an amazing performance by Phil Jones, considering that he, he hadn't started a game in, what, 707 days or something, crazy like that, January 2020, I think it was. Um, so, yeah, he played really well. It's led to supporters you know, to come to the conclusion that he should be ahead of Maguire in the packing order. Would you now go along with that? Look, no, I wouldn't. However, on an isolated performance, you have to say, yes, he performed well, and if Phil Jones is fit to play next week, he should play off the back of that performance considering what Harry Maguire has dished up this season. However, you do need to take care with Phil Jones now. It's his first game in two years type thing, well, over two years, and at the end of the day, Phil Jones isn't the answer. It was a good performance, not a great performance. It was a decent performance, all things considered. Now, yes, that decent performance is 10 times better than what Harry Maguire has dished up, but Harry Maguire rightly or wrongly, does have more of a future at this club than Phil Jones. Now, yes, short-term, next week, if both are fit, I would much prefer to see Phil Jones be rewarded for that performance. Will that happen? 
I highly doubt that will happen. Yeah, you fully expect Maguire to come back in. but he, I, I wouldn't be shocked, though, if he moves above maybe Eric Bay in the pecking order, especially with him away in the African Cup. Um, wouldn't mind, wouldn't, and I'm mixed on that, how I feel about that. But um, if he can get one or two more solid performances, um, I think that's a possibility of happening. Yeah, but obviously Phil Jones is not going to be a long-term option you know, beyond the season. Um, look, Victor Lindelof will obviously come back into the equation at some point as well. Um, so do you think that he could possibly go with Lindelof as his first choice alongside Varane, or do you think he'll stick with Maguire? On performances, and I'm not Lindelof's uh, biggest fan, however, I think he has risen to the challenge of Raphael Varane coming in this season where Harry Maguire has almost gone the opposite way. So... If I'm playing a Champions League final tomorrow, it's as bad as Maguire has been. I'll be going Maguire and Varane. However, if you're going to reward performances, which I think is what should be done, I would be going Lindelof and Varane at the moment. Obviously, Lindelof being fit. Um, fingers crossed that everything is okay COVID-wise and that incident he had with his chest. But um, yeah, at the moment, on performances this season, you'd have to go Varane and Lindelof. But again, I go back to the management and whether this be Solskjaer or Ralph Rangnick, you need to sort of grow a pair of balls and eat you're going to be strong enough to drop your captain. The evidence suggests they won't be able to and they're going to cave and pick Harry Maguire, regardless of his performances, unfortunately. Yeah, that is unfortunate. And I hope that it's maybe at the end of the season they rethink who the, the club captain is because I don't think Maguire is a suitable captain. He's just not He's not even playing well enough. No, who would you cap- think is captain, though? Because we, we seem to have this debate every second week and we say, okay, get rid of Maguire. Then we think, okay, Ronaldo, well, he's going to be gone in a year's time. Do you give it to Haya? Are you comfortable with giving it to a goalkeeper? Bruno Fernandez is always thrown out there. Then you look at Bruno Fernandez' behaviour on the pitch and you think, hang on, is that captain material? So I'm just thinking, yes, very well, and I agree, get strip it of Harry Maguire. Well, maybe not agree, but I can understand that thinking and go along with it. But then there's no perfect answer, and I wouldn't just be stripping a captain just to give it to someone else who doesn't actually suit the role. So it's a hard choice. But if it was to strip Harry Maguire, who would you be going for captain? Um, yeah, it's an interesting choice. I would have to probably go with either if it's not going to be Ronaldo, who Ranik did select the other night, by the way. Um, yeah. who's obviously not going to be at the club probably beyond the next two years. Um, probably between the game and Bruno Fernandez, to be honest. Um, mm. I wouldn't mind either of those being uh, captain. Um, Bruno Fernandez. One thing that I don't like about his game is the constant yapping in the referee's ear all the time. Um, I, yeah, I understand. You, you know, uh, uh, players are going to do it sometimes. You know, we've seen Roy Keane do it quite a lot, but he does it like he must be like ten times a game. He's yeah. at it. I just think it's, it's too he, much. He, You'd wonder what it would do if he was captain on a regular basis and sort of appointed official club captain, and that does change your duties at a club. It would be interesting to see if that does change his behaviour because we did see that a little bit of a change when Wayne Rooney took the official role. So sort of Wayne Rooney sort of sort of took a more mellowed approach towards referees. I'm not saying that would happen with Bruno Fernandes, but it would be interesting if someone did have a word to him and say, okay, you're club captain now. That comes with certain responsibilities. But then again, does that take away from Bruno's performance? Um, if you're saying don't do this, he might need that to sort of sort of stay motivated and in the game mentally. That's a weird one. Yeah. With regards, to, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of keepers being captain. Um, yeah. Obviously, Dino's off was a captain uh, in the past. And Peter Schmeichel, I think, was our vice captain. I think he captained us in the 1999 final due to Roy Keane's suspension. Um, we've seen Lexa Igor Crisius be the, the Real Madrid captain. But I don't think De Gea is that type of character. He's not a vocal character, really. So I think not... I think De Gea would be getting it off the back of performances, and and that's fine. 
but it's not he's not someone that screams captain. He might scream captain. He's our best player. It's hard to say about a goalkeeper. But Peter Schmeichel, you can say, okay, there's leadership there. And that's not to criticise David De Gea in terms of saying, oh, he has no leadership, but it's just something not about his game. Um, he's got different attributes to his game. So De Gea, I can understand that thinking, and I wouldn't cry over that decision. But yeah, again, it's not the ideal candidate. I wouldn't be stripping Harry Maguire to give the captaincy to David De Gea because I don't see that as an ideal solution. Yeah, so during this conversation, I think I've just decided that the best choice would be Bruno Fernandes. Yeah. Okay, I want to come on to Luke Shaw's interview now, um, which definitely raised a few eyebrows. Um, he seemed to indicate that there was a lack of motivation, that there was a lack of an intensity, and he seemed to be quite critical of himself and his teammates. So what did you make of that there? Concerning. Yeah, very concerning. Sometimes these quotes can still be taken a little bit out of context and so you read them written down rather than the you see the sort of video interview. But when you do watch the interview, there was a body language and that seems to be the term. For, you can't do a sentence around Man United at the moment without talking about body language ever since Ralph Rangnick has sort of mentioned it. It's something that's sort of ingrained in our brains and we're looking out for it. But the way Luke Shaw did answer that question, it was concerning. And the obvious, the way the media will run with this now, they'll say, They'll take that quote and they'll, they'll just point straight to Ronaldo. Well, this is because the arrival of Cristiano Ronaldo that's sort of broken the dressing room. I couldn't disagree with more with that. I, I, I don't go along with that train of thought. A lot of people do, though, and everyone's valid, sort of entitled to that opinion and that train of thought. But um, I just think it's hard in terms of there's this report that's come out off the back of this. I think it was from the Mirror sort of thing talking about there's 11 unhappy players in the change room. I think, well, yes, but that's normal. I assume in the treble winning team, I assume we had 10 or 12 unhappy players who weren't playing. That's going to happen. Even in successful teams, you're going to have unhappy players. The ability, the important thing of a manager is to get performances and get motivation out of those unhappy players. Okay, If they think their future is away, away from United next season, we'll get a tune out of them for the next six months type thing. But at the moment, the players who are on the outer are the ones who you might think other ones maybe potentially leaking stuff like this to the press. And again, it's it's a concern. Yeah, and there, there was more leaks coming from the Daily Mirror last night, perhaps not the greatest source in the world, but Darren Lewis is a journalist I respect. And what was interesting was the, the only four players who were specifically named in yet another dressing room leak are Van Der Beek, Baye, Lingard and Henderson. The exact same four that have been complaining publicly and privately all year, you know, direct to the press and, and the agents. So would you be surprised that it is indeed players who are not playing, who, who, are, who are potentially leaking stuff to the press? No, that they, they would be the players. And I think, again, I'll go back to a successful dressing room. Um, players who want out when the team's winning, they'll be the ones who are leaking stuff. Now, those leaks obviously aren't as sort of public as when Man United do it. When Man United have a story, it is big news. It happens around the grounds and it will always be players who are sort of angling for a move away um, from the club and who, yeah, who aren't happy if they, they're sitting there and actually don't like the manager because the manager's not picking them, which will happen. I'm sure manage, I'm sure players who are in the Man United change room who didn't have much, too much time for Fergie because Fergie wasn't picking them type thing. That, that happens in professional sport. And yeah, they'll lash out and they'll think of a way they can get under the skin of the manager. And I'm not saying they're sort of doing it to sort of sabotage the club type thing or they want United to lose type thing. I'm, I'm not definitely not accusing of accusing them of that. But there is a part of it. They just want to sort of they lash out in frustration. They are looking for an angle to maybe sort of strengthen their cause to leave the club because you do mention those names, Bay, Henderson, Lingard and Donny van der Beek. They are all players you could very much see. I don't think it'll happen, but in individual cases, you could see them leaving next week. Yeah, I think there is going to be a few people 
late leaving in January and hopefully that will free up space in the wage bill, you know, to bring one or two people in because we really need to to strengthen, you know, specifically in midfield because I think we're we're, we're quite weak there. Um at centre back obviously we've got Varane back now, which makes us feel a wee bit more secure. Um but long term though, I, I think Varane is just not someone that can be relied upon to play to play thirty eight Premier League games. I want to have a centre back that's close to his quality that can play thirty eight games in Premier League season. Um, so maybe someone like Jules Koundé from Sevilla. Uh, what What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, definitely. I don't think. I, I think in terms of short term, looking forward to sort of January and our specific needs. Now, I think the priority is in midfield. However, you do have to look forward, and so. Both ends of the pitch, okay? In a year's time, we won't have Ronaldo or Cavani, so we're going to need a striker. It's obviously not going to be Anthony Martial, um, so we're going to need a striker in a year's time. If that's a striker, if he's available this January, you have to go get the forward plan. But also, you do have to look at the centre-backs. And yes, Varane is, let's pretend he's going to be fit for a season, which probably won't happen. But let's say he is. Well, can you rely on Harry Maguire? Fitness-wise, you could probably rely on Harry Maguire to be fit for a season. But then you look at the performance and you say, well, we can definitely upgrade. Victor Lindelof, you think, yeah, he's got a, from memory, a decent sort of injury record. I think he can stay fit. But again, performances, you can upgrade on Victor Lindelof for sure. Eric Bailly and Phil Jones, um, you just can't have a conversation about them in regards to fitness. So centre-back, I think, on paper at the moment, you think numbers-wise and some people rate Lindelof, some people rate Eric Bailly, etc. Phil Jones is a second-coming type thing now. So I don't think there's too much sort of panic over the quality of our centre-backs at the moment. But if you do look at the situation, Eric Bailly, very likely to leave. Harry Maguire, just performance is just sort of becoming sort of untenable to continue playing. There probably is an issue, or probably is a sort of priority sort of to look forward to a centre back, in my opinion. You're right there. Yeah, I think with regards to the forwards, Martial is obviously going to go out on loan this month. It seems, and probably won't come back into the first team picture. Um, Cavani obviously is going to leave at the end of the season. So it does leave a wee bit of a hole there, but we are being strongly linked with Julian Alvarez from River Plate. He does seem like a hell of a young player and a snip, a, a 20 million, definitely worth the risk. I mean, he could turn out to be the next Aguero or Tevez, and if we got that, got him for 20 million, that would be a bargain. And, you know, I know Haaland is the most obvious, you know, signing in Europe in terms of strikers. But he's going to, he costs a lot more money and you're bringing in another Mina Raiota client, which is something I would prefer to avoid. So uh, would you would you like United to take a punt on someone like Julian Alvarez? Well, I definitely wouldn't cry over I think if a player like that comes in, you can only be excited by it. However, that specific link, um, I'm not sold on it. No, again, where the smoke, the fire, there's fire there, there could definitely be something in that. And I could be sitting here next week saying Julian Alvarez is Man United's new number nine and I love the kid. However, it very much does seem just your typical January story where who was the player last year linked with, um, I think it was an Ecuadorian, a defensive midfielder, end up going to Brighton. It's exactly the same story. Like this player is coming over and he's been shopped around Europe, all these big clubs want him, the agent's going to talk to this club, that club and this club. Usually when that happens, um, there's always this story every January, always from a South American source. They signed for some mid-table team somewhere. I think they're just using Man United to sort of bump up the prize and bump up interest. Now, he's obviously a talent, and there's definitely could be interest from Man United side of things. But um, I would be shocked if um, a player like Julian Alvarez is going to sign for Man United. And if he does, while he is probably of more a higher calibre than the others, you, I kind of 
warrantly put him in the same category as a Palestri. I think we'd get him, then he'd go off on loan, and then we wouldn't wouldn't see him. Um, it's a weird one, but I, I can't see that happening, to be honest. Yeah, I think, now you remind me, I think Fabrizio Romano had said on, on another YouTube show that it was basically invented by agents, but um, Ralph Ranić was a fan of this pair when he was at Locomotive Moscow, so that's kind of added a wee bit of weight to the story. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm sure there's a bit of fire there, so it would be very interesting to see how it unfolds. Um, definitely does look like he's going to get a move this January. Um, time will tell where. Yeah, um, if he if he if he goes elsewhere and he turned out to be a smashing player, I would be very disappointed that uh, that we didn't get him for that twenty million. Um, oh, okay. Uh, sadly, we'll, we'll have to do some player ratings now, and and it, I hate doing this after a really really poor performance. And there's very little, you know, players that you can point to that you could say had a really good game. Would it be simpler just to say that? Varane and Jones got sevens, um, De Gea maybe a seven, and then all the rest of them fours. Uh, or would you have any disagreement uh, uh, with that? I think I think pretty much, yeah. I think Varane and Jones were good without being great, but especially when you compare them to the um, the other players on the field, yeah, I think a seven is fair. The only other player I'd give a little bit of credit to in terms of maybe a little bit hard done by in terms of the substitution, but I think if Mason Greenwood stayed on, I think we could put him in that category of a seven out of ten. But also been taken off at the hour mark. You think, oh, maybe not. But I thought his performance was solid enough. Again, not great, but solid enough, especially compared with what was around him. But you're right. I think that those two or three are maybe a six or seven out of ten, and the others, yeah, a four. I think even maybe McTominay, who I'm a huge fan of McTominay, I'd be looking at maybe a three or four out of ten type thing. So it was disappointing across the board. Yeah, which is hugely disappointing because I give McTominay a nine out of ten for the Burnley game, and mm. it was a, a massive drop off. But you could point to the fact that they were overrun in midfield and that, you know, Wolves are obviously oh, better yeah, team. I, I think that's the thing. We do look at our players and they weren't good enough individually, of course. However, it's where, and I don't want to be too critical of Ralph Rangie, but you do look at the system and especially against Wolves and the way they played. Like I don't care which two midfielders are in there. They're going to have a hard time for United in terms of they're just getting outdone. And um, it was, a, I think, a lot of the sort of, not blame, but a lot of the reasoning does come on in terms of that team, the the system that was sort of adopted. Um, Ralph Rangie, in my opinion, He's just as culpable as the players. Yeah, so how would you rate Ruff Ranyak on the night then out of 10 in terms of tactic, uh, tactics, selections and substitutions? Yeah, on the night at the end of the day, not good enough because I think he got it wrong. And you can you can get it wrong. You can have the perfect system and perfect plan and after f- five minutes something happens which changes the game and then your plan does look wrong even though it might have been the right one um, pre-game. So my issue with Ruff Ranyak was not, not changing it soon enough. I think he sort of kept on for it too long. I didn't like the substitution of bringing Marcus Rashford onto the pitch. However, we could be having a very different debate if Bruno Fernandes hits the underside of the bar and it goes in the bo- in the goal. We're talking Ralph Rangit masterclass brings him on and scores a goal. We win one nil type thing, and it's a completely different debate, completely different mood around the club, and those leaks don't come out type thing. And um, that is how Solskjaer always used the term fine margins. <laughs> it is a game of fine margins, unfortunately. But Ralph Rangit out of ten. Look, I do like what he's doing so far, but unfortunately, you, know, you almost have to put him in the same category as the players who didn't perform well enough in that sort of four out of ten sort of thing. Yeah, definitely can't disagree with that. And yeah, Bruno Fernandez would probably get a seven for his cameo. Yeah, but Bruno was good, I thought, yeah. Yeah, he definitely have an impact and I would expect him to start against Aston Villa. Um, let's come on to the fact that I'm a little worried now. 
Um, Arsenal and Spurs are playing really well at the moment. We're certainly not favourites to make the top four as things stand. We're, and the way we're the way we're playing, the results we're getting is extremely worrying. If we were knocked out of the FA Cup, then the, the season starts to become almost a write-off because you know mm-hmm. we're not expecting anything to happen in the Champions League. You know the way we're playing with Federico would we'll, we'll put us out. Um, we just got to hope that somehow between now and the end of February things improve a lot. But I would have expected an improvement from between Ralph's first game and now, and that hasn't happened. If anything, we've went backwards. That's my concern, which I made the point yesterday in terms of saying I definitely wouldn't want this to be the case, but if that first 30 minutes against Crystal Palace, if we continue that first 30 minutes, but we're conceding four or five goals a game and losing 5-0, obviously I wouldn't be happy losing four or five nil, but I'd be happy enough seeing something from Ralph Rangel. I'd be seeing what he's trying to implement. Now, it wouldn't, wouldn't be working, but I would see something. But since that first 30 minutes, I haven't seen anything different from Solskjaer. And that's not to criticise Ralph Rangnick or Solskjaer. It's just a fact of the matter that I'm not seeing anything different. So it's a weird one with Ralph Rangnick because simply nothing has changed. He talks a big game. And that's not to go. That's not to say he shouldn't. He's obviously very knowledgeable at the game, knowledgeable about the game. But he now needs to sort of get that across to the players because simply that's not happening. Now, is that on the players and their attitudes sort of not sort of implementing the style if they got something against Ralph Rangnick or is that Ralph Rangnick not having the experience of managing a club like Manchester United because we talked about Ralph Rangnick and how good tactically he is and how well he speaks he's done it at Schalke Lokomotiv Moscow not even as a coach at Lokomotiv Moscow he's done it as a director of football the Red Bull Leipzig etc all good clubs if you want it fair enough good achievements it's not it's not the same as delivering at Manchester United that is a different kettle of fish you, don't, you can't just be a good manager or a good tactician to win at Manchester United, you need everything. You need the complete package. We've seen great managers like Louis Van Hal and Jose Mourinho not have enough tools to sort of succeed at United. You need to be brilliant, unfortunately. And um, that's not to criticise Ralph Rangnick too much. It's his first job. You do have to give him time. But um, it's a tough situation, Kyle. As you say, very concerning. You do look at the situation around Spurs and Arsenal. I would lean towards Arsenal mainly just being in very good form. I think they'll sort of become Arsenal again at some at some stage. Um, Tottenham are the ones where you think, yeah, if they could get, obviously they're out of the conference league, so they may be well prepared to sort of have a little bit of time on the training field with Conte. And if they can keep um, Harry Kane and Son fit, they're a definite concern. Yeah, it's the way Arsenal are playing is what concerns me. Hopefully they do tail off, like you say. Um, but at Spurs, it's Conte that worries me because you know we know he's a world-class manager and he's getting a tune out of them. He's turned things around massively there. Um, and obviously West Ham have the feature as well yeah. under David Moyes. They've been doing fantastically well this season. They had a great festive period there. So definitely we've got a lot of work to do if we're going to make the top four this season. Um, so how would you, I'm really concerned if these player leaks are are true. Because a lot of talk about clicks in the dressing room. You know, some of the other players being un, unhappy with Ronaldo that... Um, the influence he has over the Portuguese speaking players and all this kind of thing. Um, 11 players apparently want to leave. Um, is this job potentially bigger than even Ralph Ronick realized and pro- perhaps bigger than what we realized? Did we maybe some of us were guilty of thinking that you know Solskjaer and his coaches leave, Ranick comes in with his coaches, uh, and things will will turn around after a few weeks? Um, even an, another part of the leaks that came out was that. 
they they're not happy with uh, Ralph's uh, his tactics, and they don't think his his coaches that he's appointed are good enough. Um, if the, if that if this is true, that is really worrying, and it, it it comes across that the players are extremely arrogant as well, um, because they can't just keep blaming coaches for their really poor performances and, and lack of results at this club, um, and and if people aren't happy with Ronaldo, well then that that's a complete joke because. Ronaldo, Phil Jones and the Gay are the only ones in that squad that know what it's like to win a Premier League title. The rest of them haven't. They're not winners. So if anything, they should be um, taking a leaf out of Ronaldo's book and, and taking advice from him, not complaining about him um, because he's a winner and that's what we need in our squad. Yeah, I completely agree in terms of yeah, people talking about where does this sort of, where's the break sort of appear in the dressing room. And a lot of people are pointing to the signing of Ronaldo, but I'll make the point and I'll stand by it. I think if someone's not happy with what Ronaldo's doing in the dressing room or the standards that he's setting, well, they're the ones with the problem, not Ronaldo. Um, Ronaldo is setting the standards. He has proved why. And um, if someone's not happy with that, they're the ones who aren't cut out for Manchester United because Ronaldo has proved that he is cut out for Manchester United. And, um, yeah, those players, are. I'm happy to show the door to first thing Monday morning type thing. But it is very concerning because, look, change rooms will have these cliques and these little groups and obviously just obviously the nature of a modern-day sort of professional football team. Now there are going to be different languages which you'll obviously navigate to certain groups type thing. That is only natural. But when that starts to impact performance and sort of motivation levels or sort of desire to work with each other, that's when it becomes a concern. And I'm definitely not saying that's a concern. No one said that was an issue when we're celebrating a goal with Scott McTominay and everyone was jumping, celebrating. It wasn't an issue then. Um, suddenly it's an issue when we lose. So it is, I'm not completely sold on the story. However, like I said, with some of the transfer stories, where there's smoke, there's fire. I'm sure there are sort of unhappy players, but the unhappy players are in successful teams. Look at Ferran Torres, didn't, wasn't happy at Manchester City, left. That's, that's going to happen. Um, type thing, but it's now on the on the manager to deal those and plug those leaks as best as he can. But with what was seen at Manchester United, whether that be Louis Van Gaal, whether it be Jose Mourinho, Solskjaer, who had great man management and control of the group, it's very hard to stop these leaks at United for some reason, and that is a concern that goes above any manager. You talk about is it a bigger job than sort of anyone expected? I think definitely, no doubt, it's a bigger job than we all know about. Um, it's crazy. I don't think that is why. Solskjaer needed to go. Yes, I completely understand that and accept that, but it's why I'll sit here and saying, okay, sack him. It's not going to achieve anything. The, the next manager is still set up to fail. Um, we, we've seen time and time again, the best managers in the world can come in here, whether it be Van Hal or Mourinho. Ultimately, we're going to fail. You do look at how every manager has finished, how David Moyes finished and the situation we found ourselves in. When Louis Van Hal finished, the situation we found ourselves in. When Jose Mourinho, the same situation we found ourselves in. Solskjaer left the other week. We're in exactly the same position when these managers leave. There's one constant. The players change, the managers change. There's one constant. It's above. It's upstairs. And until that changes, I think we're going to be doing this same dance for a while. Yeah, the board have definitely contributed to the culture of player power at United. The, 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 cultures, the culture's the way to use it, and that stems from the top. You're right there. Yeah, because in the past, you know, we've had managers that have they've wanted rid of the likes of Pogba and Martial on the board of overruled them and you just give power to the players by adopting that policy so that hasn't helped at all and um, makes it difficult for any coach who comes in um, at the moment it's hard to see Ralph Ranić um, being the manager beyond the summer but hopefully things can change um, but even if we do bring in the popular choice Eric Ten Hag from Ajax it's going to be a massive massive job uh, 
if all these things are true about you know clicks in the dressing room and unhappy players and allowing players want to leave and you know a real lack of winners in the squad you know our tin hag is just he's not going to have the resources that he has at his disposal at ix you know he's got a terrific ceo there as we all know and you know a great director of football and a lot of young hungry players who want to play for the shirt and um, and other players that they've bought in who have the right mindset a man united he's he's going to struggle as things stand and uh, like you've you've said it doesn't matter who the who they bring in as manager we could bring in Klopp or Guardiola and they wouldn't turn it around either so it's it's just it's quite depressing isn't it yeah no I think you're right in terms of football um you do look at the football manager himself and from what we've seen from the Ajax manager you think brilliant bring him in he would be ideal for this club but like I said, like we're not, we don't just need a football manager. We need, and obviously not harping back to the history, but you need Sir Alex Ferguson. You need someone who is powerful and can go in there and get things done across the board. And that's simply not possible for a manager these days. Obviously, the role has changed, but we are no longer just a well-run football club where a manager can come in and just focus on the football department. There are so many issues with the club that sort of causes these breaks. And yeah, Ten Hag might be fantastic, but the moment we lose a game. You can understand, sort of, not understand, but you can see the narrative being spun. Well, why are we getting a manager who hasn't done it at the top level type thing? Type thing. He's, you know, hiding for nothing. I think he's ultimately set up to fail under this board, unfortunately. And look, that's not to say don't get excited when this player comes in or when this manager comes in. We're fans. We're going to get excited and we're going to hope this something's going to turn around and click and we're going to sort of go on to succeed. But unfortunately, in the last decade, the evidence that we have says that's not going to happen. And, um, <laughs> it's depressing. I hate talking about it, but when you do look at the facts, unfortunately, that does point towards that. Yeah. So obviously, Ralph is staying on as a consultant and um, beyond the season, and which hopefully effectively makes him a technical director. And I hope that uh, Richard Arnold and, and and Co listen to him when he says this, this, this player needs to go, and then we need to bring in this player because that's the only way the culture of the club is going to change. We have to let football people make football decisions and not have the board clinging on to players because of their their commercial value and all this sort of nonsense and that's that's exactly why we have the problems that we're having right now i'll throw i'll throw the question to you though which i raised yesterday in terms of we've all said this okay we're so excited when they announced ralph rank and said an interim role and then he'll go upstairs in a consultancy role we're so excited think, yes that's exactly what we need we've always wanted sort of a technical director someone not affiliated with the club who can come in with a clean set of eyes, tactics, and sort of put his own stamp. He's got a track record of doing this at other clubs. Fantastic appointment. They interviewed Ralph Rankin in his first press conference about it, and even he was, look, I don't, to be honest, I don't know what's happened with the consultancy role, to be honest. So he, even he wasn't sold on it. And I'm just thinking the club the club is very aware of their PR. And I'll throw the question to you. Do you think this is very smart PR by the club? Let's just let's just say he's going to be a consultant role. We'll keep him on. We'll, we'll keep in touch in, when he's upstairs. But it'll just be a case of, Okay, Ralph, can you give your input? Okay, thanks for your input. And they'll still continue on with their own way. I I have a concern that he won't have an influence. Now, fingers crossed he does, but I have a concern that he just simply won't if he goes upstairs. I think it'll still be the same people making the same decisions, sadly. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Uh, and if it is, we're, we're going to continue to, say, to see the same problems year in, year out, and nothing's going to change. I think... Once we see the type of players that are being brought in, um, like if, for example, we're bringing in players from the Bundesliga that are completely unknown, then we know that he has an influence. If we're just going after Galacticos, then we know that they're, they're not listening to him at all, probably. 
So um, time will tell. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, as you say, that, that, that's a frustrating thing as a fan. We want these answers tomorrow so we can see sort of been put into action. Unfortunately, we won't have the answers for six months, a year, two years down the track, unfortunately. Okay, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on again. Hopefully the next time you're on, uh, things are looking a bit rosier. Yeah, get us on when we uh, pencil in when we beat Atletico Madrid. That'll be a good one to come on. Yeah, well, I'll keep, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> okay, everyone could give us a wee like on the video, subscribe to the channel, and leave us a wee comment down below. And uh, I'll, I'll see you next time then, Tom, hopefully after Cheers, we mate. go. <laughs> Always, mate. Have a good one. Yeah, see you later. See you, mate.